North Sea has an established history in oil and gas related activities. However, the area is rapidly becoming a hotbed for offshore wind projects, as well as the development of climate technologies such as carbon capture and storage and hydrogen infrastructure. These developments are permanently changing the energy landscape as Europe strives to meet decarbonisation goals. My name is Pamela Larg and you are listening to the Enlit Energy Transitions podcast. Today I'm joined by Niels Roque, Executive Vice President Sustainability at Syntef Energy and Chairman of the Board of the European Energy Research Alliance to delve into this topic in more detail and give us an idea of what the future North Sea network will look like. Niels, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. And I think we should just dive straight into one of the hottest topics of the day, and that's carbon capture and storage. Norway's government is putting aside $2.8 billion for a full-scale CCS project named Longship. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, pleasure being here. Um, the Longship project is about capturing, transporting and storing CO2 in the North Sea from two sources or potentially more sources than that. The plan now is to take CO2 from a cement factory, which is owned by Heidelberg Cement, a plant which is called Norsheim in Norway. And this will take 400,000 tons of CO2 from that production, um, transport it uh, via ship to a receiving terminal on the west coast of Norway. And then it will be sent by pipelines to a storage facility offshore and thus take away 400 million tons from the production at the Sivan plant. And there is also openings for third parties there to deliver CO2. In total, uh, the capacity of this plant, the Longship project, is uh, 1.5 million tons of CO2. And as we understand, this is not the full capacity which will be used by the cement plant. And there are also plans to take CO2 from a waste-to-energy plant in Oslo using the same kind of system with the ships and then by pipelines to offshore site. But as I said, also for third parties. So there's a possibility for other partners who want to store CO2 to sign up to this project and then to store CO2 and isolate it from getting out in the atmosphere. Thank you for giving us that insight. And it sounds like a really interesting project. I think what I'd like to ask you now is carbon capture and storage has a huge potential to decarbonize hard-to-abate sectors. And before we even touch on hydrogen, what do you think the impact of this could potentially be for some of those sectors in terms of Norway, but also in Europe at large? I mentioned the two plants. One of them is which is fully financed, which is the cement plant capture. Cement is about 7% of the global emissions of CO2 in the world. So it's quite significant that we get going and to decarbonize this sector in the society. And one of the key items and rationale behind supporting this from the Norwegian government is really that this kind of plants can be replicated other places in the world and in Europe. And well, when we look at the figures 7%, it's quite sizable that we are able to decarbonize these hard to abate sectors and where we don't really know other ways of reducing emissions as the CO2 from these plants comes from the materials they use to produce the cement. 
the waste to energy plant at Clementsrud, which I also mentioned, is an interesting one. I mean, waste to energy is about 2.5% of the global emissions today. So there also, it's a huge need to have a solution for waste to energy plants. And as about 50% of the feed to waste to energy plants are of biogenic origin, you could actually say that you are getting towards a climate neutral system. So you're actually removing or being neutral in terms of adding CO2 to the atmosphere. If you have only biomass, you would remove CO2 from the atmosphere and with a certain percent of biogenic material in the feed, you would go from being net emitter to a net storage and removal technology for these kind of systems. So very interesting that as well and points towards replication of the places in the world and there are more projects ongoing in Europe in this space on waste energy plants. We see that waste energy biomass, it's becoming more popular, a lot of these different systems coming into play. But I think, Niels, what I'd like to ask you, another buzzword that we're hearing so much is hydrogen. And I'd like your mm. opinion on what do you feel hydrogen's potential is? And I'm not just talking in Norway, but uh, in Europe at large, to decarbonize, I mean, not just hard to abate sectors, but, you know, as a green electricity, what do you see hydrogen's role? So today in Europe and globally, we use a lot of natural gas for our energy uses. This is a hot topic these days with the Ukraine-Russia situation and uh, all the natural gas which is produced in Russia, a lot of it is shipped to Europe to support uh, heat and, and power. The problem with uh, the natural gas is obviously the emissions. So is either you do CCS, so you can remove the carbon when you use the natural gas, or you can replace natural gas with hydrogen. And hydrogen has the benefit when it's being used, it doesn't emit any kind of uh, CO2, obviously, because it just contains hydrogen. So in principle, you could replace natural gas usage in virtually all sectors in the society by hydrogen. And that gives uh, a picture of the potential of this energy carrier. Hydrogen is seen as a possibility to decarbonize maybe so much as 15 to 20% of the emissions in Europe taken to the full scale. And uh, the debate is really how this is going to happen and how we're going to phase this into the gas systems that we have today. I mean, mostly you hear about hydrogen being used or could be used for transport um, applications, but there is also a huge potential there to use, this, use it in industrial processes. For instance, when producing steel, you can replace carbon, uh, which is used there with hydrogen. Um, you can also use it uh, for um, aluminium production. You could use it for heating, cooling, power production. Well, as I said, you could virtually replace natural gas everywhere with hydrogen. So huge potential and great expectations upon hydrogen to be part of the decarbonization path for Europe and on a global scale to make possible the climate-neutral society by 2050. It's important that you mention carbon capture together with potentially using blue hydrogen. 
I think it's going to be interesting to see how we develop into generating green hydrogen and moving to green hydrogen only, especially after the various taxonomy announcements. It is indeed an interesting landscape. But Niels, if I can focus in on the North Sea for a moment. When we were preparing for this, we discussed what the future of this area could look like in terms of the various networks that are being developed Can you tell us a little bit more about how you see those networks? I mean, this is a great platform for offshore development, for climate technologies. What makes the North Sea the place to be? So um, in in Brussels and Europe, we often talk about uh, the North Sea as the energy Silicon Valley of Europe. And it's uh, broadly speaking is untapped uh, potential there, except for the oil and gas activities that we have today. And um, there's huge possibilities to harvest wind energy and other renewable technologies for electricity in the North Sea, and given the wind conditions, given the wave conditions, and also the possibilities of developing technologies in the area which it isn't that deep. So the idea we have been tinkering with is how can we make a system which take the benefit out of producing electricity from offshore wind? How can we have uh, pipelines and use this area also for storing uh, CO2, which happens to be having the largest potential for CO2 storage in, in Europe, is the North Sea? And how can we produce also hydrogen, both from wind energy and from natural gas with CCS? and thus connect through this network in the North Sea, hydrogen, CO2, and power, and then the renewable technologies, you know, to feed on to the power system. A key feature to make this as efficient as possible is that we have a good cooperation with the countries around the North Sea, and that we don't build separate capacity markets. Separate capacity markets means that every country caters for its own production. It has to be seen in connection, the the countries around the North Sea and Europe as such, uh, to have an efficient way of developing uh, these um, ideas in the North Sea. I mean, Denmark is talking about energy islands, and they're they're building energy islands uh, to harvest uh, offshore wind. Uh, Norway and the UK has uh, offshore platforms, which are kind of islands, which can contribute into this development. And I think it's then very important that we develop a grid, a North Sea grid, which can supply and distribute this to the different countries around the North Sea and thus fulfill the targets, for instance, on 300 gigawatt of offshore wind in in Europe by 2050. And uh, the hydrogen story, how we're going to get enough hydrogen to decarbonize Europe and how we're going to store CO2 from Europe to uh, also to build upon this plan on going to climate neutrality by 2050. Yes, these plans do sound quite incredible. I think what I'm wondering, and perhaps our listeners are also wondering, in order to build this grid infrastructure and to allow for energy exchange between countries, like you mentioned, you know, it's not just about satisfying your own uh, in-house demand. Mm. It's about Europe and the bigger picture. 
And obviously there is quite a lot of work to be done in order to achieve this. Do you believe that the finance mechanisms, the regulatory mechanisms are in place to achieve this? And what work still needs to be done in order for it to spur development? Because we actually don't really have time to waste. So in your opinion, what still needs to be done? So it's a key question, of course, how are we going to get this going and have the right incentives and mechanisms? Um, as you said, we have regulatory mechanisms and barriers to overcome here, but I think there's good steps being taken to try to overcome some of this. And I see the European Commission and how all the instruments the European Commission has at its hands is pointing towards the net zero by 2050 or climate neutrality, as it's coined in Brussels. And this would be um, a way of putting a kind of cost of uh, funding going to different projects. And the European uh, Sustainable Finance Taxonomy is a step in that direction. But it's not clear how a such a network should be shared between the different uh, parties around the North Sea. For instance, who should cover the cost of pipelines? How will risk and revenue be shared? Um, who would develop the grid in the North Sea? And what kind of capacities should it be between the different countries? But as you also say, I mean, we don't have time to run this as a, a very long-term activity. We need to start straight away. And that's why we're giving also advice to the Norwegian government that it would be smart to start to discuss with uh, our neighboring countries around the North Sea about how we can get this going, really. And when we see steps like the one in Denmark with the energy islands, with the massive development of offshore wind and the CCS plants in the UK, the Netherlands, Norway, it's kind of mature to do some steps and connecting this so we get a strong plan which really we can see can be fulfilled within the timeframes we have. Thank you for that, Niels. Clearly there is a lot of work to be done and clearly we need to encourage collaboration and conversation. We can't do this in silos and hopefully we can get countries' commitment, uh, government's commitment and we can really strive to meet these goals Niels, we are almost out of time, but before we conclude, do you have any final remarks or anything that you would like to share with our listeners as we wrap things up? Well, I, if there's one thing I think is really the pace that we need to get going, and when we hear governments talking about releasing new plans for CCS or if it's wind or if it's energy efficiency and so forth, they really need to step up and not say that these are the plans which will be available from 2030 or 2040. We need to start and to get going now if you're having any chance of reaching the overall global targets in the Paris Agreement. So in general, we need to get going. And I think the time for cherry picking, saying that we can do that and not that, you know, is over we need to use all the different technologies and solutions we have at hand to be able to reach the Paris Agreement targets and then to end up in a world which is uh, habitable for us all. Some sound wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Niels, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you joining us. It has been an absolute pleasure. For our listeners who might want to know a little bit more about Niels and his experience, we will include those details below. 
Until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Energy Transitions podcast, brought to you by Enlit and Friends. This episode was produced by myself, Pamela Larg, and Dean Ravel. For more information and insights into the energy transition, visit the Enlit website at enlit.world. Thank you.